Hi everyone, this is Abby Fanlow, and I'm a PhD candidate in political science focusing on international relations at Stanford University. When the Russian invasion of Ukraine broke out, I started sending my friends voice notes, answering their questions about the conflict, and it grew an interest, so I decided to start a podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. Now, let's get started. So today's question is, did Putin's endgame change? And as part of that, I'm also going to answer another question, which is, can you tell me more about the Donbass? Who are the separatists there? What is their ultimate aim? How big is the movement? And is the Donbass the only part of Ukraine with separatist desires? So it's going to become clear why I'm doing these two questions together in a few seconds. So I'm going to start off by giving some background on why people think that Putin's endgame might have changed. Then I'm going to talk about the Donbass, and then I'm going to discuss whether Putin's endgame has actually changed. So make sure you listen until the end. So why do people think that Putin's endgame might have changed? When the war started, there was general agreement that Putin's aims were to overthrow the government of Ukraine and install a puppet regime or even possibly to annex Ukraine into Russia. However, on Friday, March 25th, the Russian Defense Ministry said that the first phase of the military operation was mostly complete and going forward, Russia was going to focus on completely liberating Ukraine's breakaway eastern Donbass region. After this announcement, Russia began actually withdrawing troops from certain fronts. So if you listen to my podcast called Is Russia Winning the War in Ukraine, which was published, I think, on March 23rd, I talked about three distinct fronts in the war, the front around Kyiv, the front in the south of Ukraine around Mykolaiv, and the front in the east of Ukraine around the Donbass. After that March 25th announcement, when Russia said they were going to be completely focused on the Donbass going forward, Russia did in fact actually begin to withdraw troops from the Kyiv front. And actually, it appears that they have fully withdrawn from the Kyiv front. And this withdrawal is what has brought to light the Russian war crimes in Bucha and other towns north of Kyiv, because the Russian soldiers left and Ukrainians and journalists could go in and document the atrocities those Russian soldiers committed when they controlled some of those areas north of Kyiv. Those troops are that have been withdrawn from the Kyiv front are currently most likely being refitted with supplies and weapons, and now we are seeing some indications from aerial photographs and videos of Russian convoys that are available open source as source. Um, as well as statements by the Ukrainian government and other Western governments that probably have additional intelligence beyond those open source um, indications that Russia is redeploying troops to the Eastern Front around the Donbass to reinforce the effort there. So again, there is both open source and probably more um, covert intelligence that suggests Russia is redeploying troops to the Eastern Front around the Donbass. Military analysts that I follow who are tracking Russian positions in the area believe that the Russians are going to try to execute a pincer movement in the Donbass, which is essentially a movement of troops that comes from two sides to encircle another force. And so in this case, it would be a pincer movement around the Ukrainian forces that have been stationed in the Donbass since the 2014-2015 war, which I'll get to in a moment. Now, the Ukrainian government has also made it clear that they believe a massive assault by the Russian army in the eastern region is about to start. And thus, they have called for civilians in the Donbass region to evacuate. 
In fact, last week, the Russians attacked a train station with a missile, um, and that train station in the Donbass had thousands of civilians waiting there to flee. So there are indications Russia is not going to make it easy for citizens of this area to flee. Now, it's not necessarily clear why that is the case, but in general, it seems that Russia might be prepared to execute a total war in the Donbass, which means they would not refrain from attacking civilian infrastructure and would try to destroy the Ukrainian capability and will to fight from kind of the top to the bottom of society. Now, there is also concern that the Russians are going to redeploy forces to the southern front around Mykolaiv, but there are not yet indications that they are already doing that. And it's important to note that the Russians are going to need a lot of manpower to successfully execute that pincer movement in the Donbass, so it's unclear whether they could really fully commit to um, achieving their goals in the Donbass and also try to recommit to achieving their goals in the south and be successful in both. Okay, so there are indications that the Russians are refocusing on the Donbass, as they stated publicly on March 25th, because they have withdrawn from the Kyiv front and are clearly redeploying forces to the Donbass. So does this mean that Putin has truly revised his war aims away from being about the whole of Ukraine to being about the Donbass specifically? To answer this, I think it is important to first discuss the Donbass and the background of the Russo-Ukrainian conflict there. Okay, so what is the Donbass? The term Donbass is a portmanteau, which is basically just a combination of the words Donetsk, Coal, and Basin. And the Donetsk Coal Basin is a region in southeastern Ukraine around the Donetsk Ridge that used to have a very large coal industry, but was hit very hard by the post-Soviet collapse and the economic downturn in the former Soviet republics that occurred after the Soviet collapse. Now, the word Donbass refers to the region generally, but it doesn't refer to a sub-national entity. It's like saying the Mississippi River Valley. That doesn't refer to Mississippi, it refers to all of the areas around the Mississippi River. Today, the word Donbass is basically used to refer to Donetsk and Luhansk, which are two sub-national regions of Ukraine, which are called oblasts in Ukraine. But historically, the term Donbass really referred to a broader region beyond those two oblasts and also excluded parts of the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. But um, for the purposes of understanding what's going on now, you just need to know that the word Donbass refers to Donetsk and Luhansk. Now, back in late 2013, the president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, suddenly decided not to sign an agreement between Ukraine and the European Union. This was an economic agreement. And instead, Yanukovych chose to pursue a closer relationship with Russia and the Eurasian Economic Union, which is sort of an economic cooperation union that's part of Russia's sphere of influence. Now, the Ukrainian parliament had already approved the EU-Ukraine agreement, and Ukrainians in general supported this sort of economic path for Ukraine towards a closer relationship with the West. So when Yanukovych did this, the Ukrainians took to the streets in protest, Um, and this movement became known as the Euromaidan because there was a square in Kyiv called the Maidan um, where a lot of the protesters gathered. This all happened in late 2013 to early 2014, and eventually in early 2014, Yanukovych fled Ukraine, and an interim government was put in power. Now, a month or two later, we started to see some counter-protests in the Donbass, 
in Donetsk and Luhansk that were made up of protesters that really supported close ties between Ukraine and Russia. So they were counter-protesting the Euromaidan movement, which had really supported closer ties between Ukraine and the West and opposed Yanukovych from moving closer to Russia. So some of these protesters eventually seized control of some of the buildings of these regional governments in Donetsk and Luhansk. And these protesters demanded either a ton of autonomy from the government of Ukraine or to be able to join Russia or be annexed into Russia. And when those demands were not granted by the central Ukrainian government, which at this point, again, is an interim government that's been put in power after Yanukovych fled, um, these separatist protesters unilaterally declared a a separate Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. Um, And both those republics had militias, and essentially these protesters became an armed separatist insurgency fighting against the Ukrainian central government in Kyiv. Now, these republics are considered separatist regions, um, and the people that are ruling and defending them are considered insurgents fighting against the Ukrainian government by most of the independent countries in the world. Now, neither the Donetsk People's Republic nor the Luhansk People's Republic has been recognized as an independent state by any UN member state except for Russia, and Russia only recognized them um, prior to this war. Now, many experts who have studied what happened in 2014 in Ukraine believe that Russia actually sent in political and military operatives to foster these counter uprisings in Donetsk and Luhansk. I have read other analysis, however, that kind of suggest the initial uprisings were actually more local, more organic, and then Russia kind of jumped in to try to control them and make sure that the separatist movements served Russia's goals. Um, And there definitely are Ukrainian citizens in the rebel leadership. However, um, in 2014, a Russian military commander, Igor Gherkin, um, led some of the seizures of these government buildings in the Donbass and some of the offensive operations by the separatists. Um, And this was documented and eventually used by the Ukrainian government as evidence of Russia's official involvement in fostering these uprisings. However, there's certainly not a debate that there was a pretty substantial level of sympathy for Russia in the Donbass, which allowed these separatist uprisings to take hold and to persist. The eastern region of Ukraine and the western region of Ukraine had, you know, consistently voted for pretty different candidates in elections since the collapse of the Soviet Union. And there are a lot more Russian speakers and ethnic Russians in the east of Ukraine than in the west of Ukraine. Um, So that just gives you a sense of who these separatists are and sort of what happened back in 2014. Um, And in general, it seems pretty clear that the ultimate aim of these separatist groups is to support Russia's sphere of influence and to make sure that the Donbass is part of that sphere of influence, kind of at all costs. So these separatists formally claim independence for all of the Donbass. But I think that their ultimate goal is either to secure substantial autonomy for the separatist regions as they exist right now, the the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic, which right now is only about a third of the entire Donbass region. Um, And they want substantial autonomy from Kyiv, which would allow them to prevent, to maintain really close ties with Russia but also to potentially prevent the Ukrainian government in Kyiv from getting closer to the West by making that really politically costly. 
And if none of that works, I think these separatist regions would just choose to be annexed into Russia. Okay, going back to 2014, in spring 2014, the Ukrainian government launched a counteroffensive to try to reclaim the areas of Donetsk and Luhansk that these separatists had seized. And when the Ukrainians launched this counteroffensive, they initially had some successes, which I think scared the Russians. And so the Russians began actually sending in camouflaged and disguised tanks and regiments to fight alongside the separatists. However, these were sent in covertly and Russia has never openly admitted that it sent troops to fight alongside those separatists in the Donbass. Um, there was a full-scale war between the Ukrainian army and the separatist groups in the Donbass that lasted a little over a year. Um, and this war basically ended in a stalemate, which could kind of be considered a victory for the Russian-backed separatists since when the stalemate sort of occurred, when the war ended, the separatists controlled about a third of Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. Um, so they controlled about a third of the Donbass. And um, the war ended with an agreement called the Minsk Protocol, but it became very clear pretty quickly that Russia and Ukraine had very different visions of how this treaty was going to be implemented. So part of the agreement was that Ukraine had to enshrine broad autonomy for the um, Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts into the constitution and then reintegrate these separatist regions into Ukraine. And I think Russia, and I've read a lot of people who believe Russia saw this part of the Minsk Protocol as a way to kind of infiltrate the Ukrainian government from within and thought that if those separatist regions were part of the Ukrainian government but had significant autonomy within Ukraine, it might prevent like further movement of the Kyiv government westward and it might prevent the Kyiv government from further aligning with the West, the EU and NATO because these separatists, I mean, sorry, these um regions from the east if they were granted more autonomy but were still part of the ukrainian government could kind of exercise some sort of veto within ukraine to prevent westward alignment now ukraine said it was not going to fulfill that part of the minsk agreement of reintegrating those regions and giving them significant autonomy until russia withdrew all of its troops from eastern ukraine now remember russia still denied it even had troops in eastern ukraine at this point so there was basically a stalemate in implementation of the Minsk agreements um, for several years. And then in February of this year, right before the invasion, Russia essentially said, okay, you know what, Ukraine, you're not upholding your side of the agreement. And, um, you know, we can see that as dubious given Russia refused to admit it had any sort of troops in eastern Ukraine at the time. And it was still sort of um, disguising these covert support that it was providing to the separatist regions um, but essentially russia said ukraine you're not upholding the minsk agreement we're going to recognize the breakaway republics of the donuts people's republic and the luhansk people's republic and then it kind of used this as part of the excuse to invade ukraine it's Difficult to know the precise population of the donetsk and luhansk people's republics but some estimates suggest they're like home to around 2.3 million people in the DPR and 1.5 million people in the LPR. Um, and in those separatist regions, a survey from last year found that about half of the people wanted to join Russia. So only half, I think, is important to keep in mind. 
And each of those separatist regions have an army corps. Um, however, I found it very difficult to identify exactly the operational strength of those army corps. I found a quote from 2020 in which um, a Ukrainian military official told a meeting of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe that he estimated the strength of these two army corps at 35,000 soldiers total. But I also found sources that estimated the separatist republics had armies that were orders of magnitude smaller than that, like closer to 10,000. Moreover, they definitely did a general call-up of volunteers and potentially demanded that people join the military before the Russian invasion in those separatist regions. So it's difficult to know exactly how many fighters there are um, sort of fighting on behalf of the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Re Republic today. And those fighters that are part of the separatist army corps are definitely going to be cooperating with the Russian forces in the area. Okay, so having given you all that background, now let's talk about whether Putin's endgame has actually changed. Does Putin now just want to take control over the Donbass, basically expand the extent of separatist-held territory there, and potentially annex those regions into Russia? Because remember, before this war, the separatists only had one-third of the territory in the Donbass, so there's definitely more to be taken. Um... Basically, there are two pretty obvious answers to this question, but let's unpack them. The first answer is yes, Putin has changed his endgame. He has lost around Kyiv and he has had to revise his aims to be less maximalist because there is no longer um, a path in his mind to overthrowing the Ukrainian government. He has realized that the probability of Russian victory over the whole of Ukraine is much lower than he thought, so he is going to focus on an area that he might be able to win. And the Donbass is far more realistic than all of Ukraine, right? Like all of that background I just provided suggests that people in the Donbass are more supportive of joining Russia than Ukrainians overall, and they're more pro-Russian in general. Moreover, we have evidence that Putin is doing this. Like he has withdrawn Russian troops from the Kyiv front, and he could have left at least some units there to bog down Ukrainian forces and to facilitate another attempt at Kyiv down the line. But Russia completely withdrew from the Kyiv front. And so, you know, this answer to the question would essentially say there are strong indications that Putin has revised his war aims and that he's focusing on the Donbass and perhaps also the south down the line. Now, the other answer to the question is no, Putin's war aims overall have not changed, but he has um, sort of conducted a strategic shift in how the war is going to be fought. So it's clear that Russia tried to do too much in too many places and lacked coordination across the different fronts. And so now the Russian army is regrouping, it's refitting its soldiers with supplies and weapons, which was really necessary because they had fought for many weeks, suffered losses, and didn't have sort of the supplies they needed. And after regrouping and refitting the soldiers, they can redeploy more of them to the Donbass and sort of concentrate their forces in one area. And this will likely make it easier for them to succeed in that one area than if they were sort of spread apart between the two fronts. Moreover, Russia has appointed a new general in charge of the entire operation, which is going to improve coordination. Um, and so this is all evidence that Russia is trying to achieve their war aims in Donbass in the short term. Um, and then that might actually facilitate them to focus on taking more territory in the south next. And then finally, Putin might reconsider going for Kyiv if he's successful in the east and the south. Um, okay, so that strategic shift is important. But also people would say it's not just that Putin wants to... Um, 
execute a better plan for winning this war. It's also that redeploying troops to the east right now is likely to give Putin a quicker short-term victory, and he would really like that prior to a large military parade and celebration that happens in early May. Um, and if he can achieve this massive victory by then, it might actually help him be able to convince the Russian elites and the Russian public to stomach a longer war for those other areas in the south and for the whole of Ukraine, potentially. And then the final part of this argument would just be, you know what, like the central Ukrainian government is now really unlikely to align itself with Putin voluntarily. So pretty much his only way of achieving that ultimate war aim from the beginning of making sure that Ukraine is part of Russia's sphere of influence would be to take Kyiv, would be to overthrow the government and either install a puppet regime or annex Ukraine into Russia. And so why would Putin sort of give up on that original aim? Because it's literally the only way for him to actually achieve his um, sort of clear goal that most people agree is making sure Ukraine is part of the Russian sphere of influence. So if anything, you know, what's happened over the past few week has, weeks has potentially given him more of a reason to be committed to um, changing the regime in Kyiv, even if the chances of him achieving it are much lower than he might have thought. Um, I also think there aren't super clear indications that Putin really had a rational framework for deciding to invade Ukraine in the first place. So it's hard for me to believe personally that he's just going to take in what has happened over the past month and a half, let alone to believe that he's definitely getting accurate information on what has happened, and then just decide, okay, taking over Ukraine or installing a puppet regime is infeasible or not worth it. And so I tend to sort of think that, no, Putin's war aims haven't changed. This is really just a short-term um, effort to try to get a win that will be helpful to Putin politically and a just reorganization of the way that Russia is fighting this war. So to recap this entire episode, people think that Putin's endgame might be changing because there have been shifts in Russia's stated and observed military strategy in Ukraine. There's been a withdrawal of forces around Kyiv and a redeployment of forces towards the Donbass. Uh, moreover, the Donbass has been contested by Russia since 2014, and Russia has fostered and substantially aided separatist groups that are fighting there. Um, you could argue that Putin's endgame has changed and now he just wants to take the Donbass, but um, I would argue that there are no real reasons to believe he is not simply changing his military strategy in the short term rather than revising his overall goals. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to email me at fopo.podcast at gmail.com with a question about international politics. It doesn't just have to be about the war in Ukraine that you want me to answer in a future episode. I'm also happy to just hear from you on the email. I got a lovely message this week from a listener letting me know how grateful she was for the podcast and it absolutely made my week. All right, hope you all have a great rest of your day and look forward to talking to you soon.